Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. That time of the week again, the Rugby League Grand Fifth and Last. Put on your headgear, chuck in your mouth guard and get ready for an hour of nothing but NRL tour. Welcome to the round 21 edition of the fifth and last NRL podcast, which is going to be a little bit different this week because we've got no Louis, obviously he's still cruising around Europe, and we also don't have Mr. Gossip because he's uh, come down with some sort of illness, Uh, but we'll push on, I'll do my best to get us through for this week, uh, and we'll hopefully have a guest on next week uh, to go through the Fast Five and the review section with us, but we'll kick it off with a few things this weekend, a few things uh, coming out of the round, and obviously the number one thing on everyone's lips is the Robbie Farris scenario. Look, I've got my take on it, a lot of people have got their take on it, but first, let's have a listen to what Robbie Farrar had to say after the Tigers reserve grade one at Leichhardt Oval on Saturday afternoon. I've done my utmost to, um, to do what's required of me. Um... But it just seems like that um, nothing I do is um, is good enough at the moment. I've played four games in the last 12, 12 weeks for the Tigers. Three of those have been wins. In three of those, in three of those wins, we've scored over 30 points. So if you think that's a lack of cohesion and attack, I think you guys can form an opinion of that. The game that I lost, I got knocked out after 20 minutes. I think that's the most disappointing thing. Is uh, you know I've been, I guess, had the finger pointed at me, the blame of, of the way things have been going, and I find that unfair. You know, um, our biggest problem is our defence. You know, and. When JT came to the club, you know, he, um, yeah, his priority, and you know, he said publicly that, you know, that in the past, that as a club, that we've been an attacking sort of club, and you know, find it ironic now that he's talking about lack of cohesion and attack when we've got the second worst defence in the competition. So, however else I get treated is out of my control. Um, all I can control is, like I said, my actions, and I'll continue to train hard as I've always done, and I'll continue to be professional and try and keep my mouth shut and try not do anything wrong because I think that's what they're trying to get me to do. But. Um, I think I'm a bit smarter than that. Well, look, if that's Robbie Farrar uh, keeping his mouth shut, then that's, uh, you know, a different sort of definition to keeping your mouth shut than what I'm used to. Now, look, I can understand Robbie Farrar is frustrated. I understand, you know, that obviously there's more to this between him and Jason Taylor. There's no doubt about that. It's now dragged on for 12 months. I've got a few opinions on this. Look, for Robbie Farrar, uh, I think he either needs to put up or shut up. Uh, you can't you can't be out there saying that it's it's to me uh, it sounded very much like sour grapes. I don't think it's beneficial to his cause. Last year, when the Tigers tried to get rid of Robbie Farrar, he was offered a round of all 15 NRL clubs, and not one of them wanted to pick up his huge salary. So if he wants to stay on the money that he's on, he's got two options: he needs to suck it up and stay, or he needs to work with the Tigers to formulate some sort of deal for another NRL club to pick up some of his contract and for the Tigers to pay the other percentage, which, from my information, the Tigers are happy to do. Now, when we look at Robbie Farah's career at the Tigers as a whole, 
the side, and he's been the marquee player. Let's not let's get that straight. Robbie Farrar, for the last five years at the West Tigers, has been their marquee player. In that time, since 2011, the Tigers haven't made the semi-finals. Now, regardless of whether you're a Tigers supporter, whatever team you support, would you be a really big fan of paying someone almost a million dollars that isn't having an influence on the field that you would like? Your, your marquee player should be the player having the biggest influence over the result on the field. Now, for the last five years, and I don't think they'll make the finals this year, so I think they'll miss it for five years in a row, Robbie hasn't had that. He hasn't delivered on that price tag. Now, I know that there's other reasons that Jason Taylor's obviously sat Robbie Farrer out, Uh, you know, personality reasons. The fact, plain and simply, he won't pass off the deck. He's a different style of hooker. The halves want early ball. I, I understand all of that. But first and foremost, it's a personality clash between him and Jason Taylor that needs to be sorted out ASAP. Now, from the Tigers and the Jason Taylor perspective, look, I don't think this has been handled very well by the Tigers. Last year, they withheld the information that they were trying to move Robbie Farrer on. Now, about a month later, Robbie Farrer caught wind of this, and his manager, Sam Ayub, then started to work with Robbie to look at other options. By that stage, the ship had sort of sailed. Now, Paul Ken had some information on Sunday Triple M NRL where he spoke about the fact that South Sydney and the Roosters both were keen or, you know, had a little bit of a nibble at Robbie Farrar. But outside of that, you know, the other 13 NRL clubs weren't keen to have him on board. And for me, that comes back to the stigma of Robbie Farrar in the fact that, you know, we were just talking about the five years, uh, you know, since they haven't made the finals. He's also moved on or had coaches sacked under his tenure as the marquee player at the Tigers in Tim Sheens and obviously Mick Potter. Now, it looks to me like either Robbie's going to go or Jason Taylor's going to go at the end of the year. Now, Jason Taylor isn't free of folding in this either. Now, at the start of the year, he obviously said Robbie Farrer is going to be a part of our 17. He's a New South Wales hooker, yada, yada, yada. He towed out the company line. Jason Pascoe did the same. They, they basically put their foot down, said to Jason Taylor, you have to pay Robbie, Robbie Farrer. Uh, you have to play Robbie Farrer. Now, for me, as the coach, it's not an ideal situation. Uh, you want to put yourself in situations where you've got control. If you're the coach and I'm the coach, I want to be picking the side because in the end, the results and the buck stops with me. At the end of the season, Jason Taylor is going to be judged on his results, not on his relationship with Robbie Farrer. So for me, I'm okay with Jason Taylor uh, sitting Robbie Farrer down. If he thinks that's the best thing for the football team and he thinks he's going to get results that way, I don't have an issue with it. However, the timing to me seems very, very peculiar. It's out of origin. Uh, And as Robbie said, you know, they've won three of the last four games. The game that they lost, he went off concussed. They've scored more than 30 points. The defence isn't great. Um, I'd agree with Robbie on that. But for me, the timing from Jason Taylor, uh, Taylor's perspective is a little bit peculiar in the fact that they played St. George. And St. George, to me, are very lucky that Newcastle are going so bad because uh, otherwise Paul McGregor and that club would be under a lot more pressure than what they currently are. But for me, look, I can, I can see both, both perspectives, but I'm happy with Jason Taylor to stick uh, with, you know, obviously having Robbie Farrah play reserve grade, providing at the moment that, you know, they're winning. I... To me, I don't think Dean Hallitau is a better hooker than Robbie Farrar. But if the cohesion is the issue, and that's what Jason Taylor has articulated in his press conferences, then I then I, I can I can grin and bear it, providing that the team performs better when Robbie is in reserve grade.
My other little bugbear coming out of round 20 in the NRL was the Monday night decision by the Bunker to disallow the Joe Burgess try. Now, in years gone by, I've been very, very strong in saying that I believe players should have control of the ball when grounding it. However, we've become used to us, uh, you know, players having one fingertip on the ball when grounding it. Now, the decision by the bunker, to me, was incorrect. Now, by the letter of the law, apparently the rules were changed at the start of the year. I didn't get that memo, and I'm sure a lot of the fans didn't get that memo. Apparently, the rule is now that if you lose possession of the ball, you need to re-grip it and regain control before you can ground it. Now, to the letter of the law, I'm not 100% sure or unsure, or sorry, certain or uncertain, that Joe Burgess didn't do that on Monday night. Now, for the fact that Henry Perinara sent that try up as a try on field, I believe the decision should have stayed uh, with a try because there was ins- insufficient evidence, in my opinion, to overturn the on-field decision. What did you think? Well, let us know on Facebook or on Twitter. But here's what Tony Archer had to say on Tuesday. As you can see from the vision, Joe Burgess, in attempting to ground the ball, loses possession and fails to re-grip re-hold or re-catch the ball which is required to do to score a fair try correct decision to overturn Tony 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 now I've got a few issues with this firstly where was that footage when we were watching it on Monday night now if that footage wasn't available to the bunker or the referees in the bunker how would they have known to overturn it It obviously wasn't conclusive because they went over it time and time and time and time and time again. Now, I have another issue with this in the fact that they slow it down to milliseconds. Now, you play play that uh, in its full entirety at full speed. Joe Burr just puts that ball through to China. It's actually, he has that much downward pressure on the ball, it squirts out to the side. Now... To me, the bunker, you've got that one horrendously wrong. I think it had a massive impact on that game. I'm not saying South Sydney would have won the game. I think Manly, for the majority, were the better side. However, uh, that, to me, had a, had a massive, massive impact. As I said before, South Sydney uh, then conceded a 20-metre 20, uh, 20 restart. Manly marched down with a seven-tackle set, kicked a penalty goal, and went out to an eight-point lead, which basically took the game away from the South Sydney Rabbitohs. Frustrating again from the NRL bunker. I wish, you know, if if they're going to come out the next day with conclusive evidence and conclusive vision, the question I would be asking as a fan and as a commentator on the game is, why wasn't that vision available on the night? If that vision was available on the night and I could see that, we could all see that, we'd be able to live with these decisions. But based on the vision that everyone saw on Monday night, based on the on-field decision... Based on the body language of Joe Burgess, I believe it was a try and it should have stayed a try. Okay, a couple of short and sharp jabs. Look, Cronulla this week, they went to the NRL looking to see if they could play a home semi-final in week one at Shark Park. Now, to me, this is ridiculous because every side knew the rules at the start of the year and the fact that you know, if you're a Sydney club and you know you're not, and you play at a suburban ground, you're not going to be able to play your semi-final in week one at, at a uh, at a suburban ground. So I don't understand why the Sharks are jumping up and down twenty rounds in. Now it looks as though they're going to finish first or second. Most likely, they're going to finish first, uh, and then they're going to jump up and down now that they're not allowed to use Shark Park. Uh, look, if the shoe was on the other foot. 
and, you know, for argument's sake, they were playing the Panthers in week one of the finals or they were playing St. George Illawarra or the West Tigers in, in week one of the finals, I'm sure the Sharks would much prefer that to be at ANZ or Allianz rather than Leichhardt, you know, Pepper Stadium uh, or Oakey Jubilee or Wind Stadium. So, you know, you can't, wear, you can't wear the shoes when they're on one foot and not on the other foot. So for Cronulla, very, very careful in my opinion. Uh, you know, be careful what you wish for. This year, the shoe might fit, but, you know, in another year, it may not. Now, Trent Merrin, he's extended today his deal with the Penrith Panthers until the end of 2020. A no-brainer to me. I think on Friday night, Trent had his best game for the club uh, in an outstanding performance in the win at Suncorp Stadium over the Brisbane Broncos. Uh, Kieran Foran is apparently seeking a payout of up to $200,000 from the Eels as the club looks to finalise his departure to allow them to sign players for 2017. Now, look, for me, when you look at the the contract uh, of Kieran Foran and the amount of money that Parramatta have invested into Kieran Foran over that long-term deal that he originally signed well, around this time last year, that seems like a, a small amount of money for me to get rid of Kieran Foran. I, I, look, he's he's had his issues, Kieran, obviously, on and off the field. I feel for the guy, but from a business perspective and from the situation that Parramatta are in, I'd be advising Parramatta to give him the 200, move on. Uh, you know, The quicker they can get away from all these anchors that are holding them down, I think the better the Parramatta club is going to be, and that'll allow them to move forward with a really, really strong roster they've got into 2017. Speaking of the Parramatta Eels, it's reported that the Waratahs have rejected Jared Hayne for 2017. Uh, they've said that they're not going to sign him. For me, I don't understand why Jared was looking at rugby union in the first place. He looked terrible uh, in the sevens. He didn't look a natural rugby union player. He didn't play any rugby union growing up, so it makes zero sense to me. I think it's, at the moment, a bit of dollars and cents and a bit of uh, manager banter to try and bump up his price with the Parramatta Eels. But for me, I think Parramatta need to expedite this deal with Kieran Foran, get that money free off the cut, and ASAP... They need to make sure that they secure Jared Hayne for next season. Uh, On top of that, I think they need to secure Corey Norman. Corey Norman, to me, has been the best player at the Parramatta Reels this year by a country mile. Uh, He's second in tri-assists this year behind Ben Hunt. He's had a massive influence over that side. I think single-handedly he's won the side or won Parramatta at least two or three games. Uh, So it seems to me a no-brainer. Next year, best-case scenario, I think Parramatta could hope to secure both Jared Hayne and Corey Norman. Uh, and then I think they're a genuine top four threat. Uh, on Monday, it was, it was reported that St. George Illawarra Dragons had stood down Sevilla Harvili and Tim Lafoy indefinitely after being charged with a fray and offensive behaviour. Boys, we've just gone through the Corey Norman saga. We've seen James Seguiaro move overseas. At the start of the year, we saw Mitchell Pearce get hauled over the coals. What were you thinking? I have absolutely zero sympathy for these players. It's an act of complete stupidity. They should take a long, hard look at themselves, and you get zero, zero sympathy from me. So I'd I'd like to see the NRL come out, be strong again, and ban these two players for the remainder of the 2016 season. Now, yesterday, Michael Ennis, he dropped a bit of a bombshell. He retired from the NRL uh, as of the end of the 2016 season. Look, for me, two years ago, I thought when Michael Ennis moved from the Canterbury Bulldogs over to the Cronulla Sharks, I thought it was really questionable. I know Lewis did as well. Uh, he really liked my, Michael Leisha. Obviously, the Sharks and the Dogs, they did a bit, of a bit of a swap. Leisha went from the Sharks to the Bulldogs and Ennis from the Bulldogs to the Sharks. But look, he's played outstanding football the last two years, Michael Ennis. 
from my perspective, I saw him come into grade. I was a teenager then. He played decent footy, but I think in the last two years, very similar to Corey Parker, Michael Ennis has played very, very good football, and I think it's really, really positive. Um, you know, the reasons that he outlined that he wanted to retire, uh, and also that he's going to go out and retire on top of his game. He has not played better football, Michael Ennis. I think he was extremely unlucky uh, to not have an Origin jersey this year. I think he was a form hooker for New South Wales, and, and I got that wrong because before Origin won, I said that I would have taken Robbie Farah. Uh, I now, you know, see the fold in my ways. I got that wrong. Absolutely, I got that wrong. It should have been Michael Ennis. He should have played the three games for New South Wales this year. Uh, and look, when we look at the wider, you know, perspective on this and the lay of the land, that decision, the decision to play Robbie Farrar over Michael Ennis in, uh, in State of Origin has made it very difficult in club land for Jason Taylor because, you know, the argument is that, you know, Robbie Farrar, he's a New South Wales hooker. I wonder whether there'd be so much uproar if Michael Ennis played the season this year and Robbie Farrar was dropped from that New South Wales number nine. I guess we'll never, ever know. And look, on the lighter side of life, uh, if, you, if you miss it this week, Trent Merrin did a hilarious impersonation of Borat. So I thought, why not? Why don't we put it on the show, see what you guys think? I thought it was pretty funny. Oh, yes. Uh, uh, hello? Uh, yes. Uh, gentlemen, uh, a great uh, success to uh, you and my congratulations on this uh, university's um, business partners in this degree is a very great achievement and everybody from um, the panel of Pants I would like to say a very congratulations and uh, we all love you and we hope you have a great day. Have fun! Yes. Ah, Trini boy. Multi, multi talented. Look, we'll have a short break here uh, and then we'll head into the Fast Five and have a look at the games from Round 20 in the NRL. You're listening to the fifth and last NRL podcast, proudly sponsored by WilliamHill.com. We're going to rip straight into the Fast Five now and take a look at the high, low, the best and the worst coming out of Round 20 in the NRL. And look, my highlight was the Titans. I think they're, uh, well, they're obviously in the eight now. I think they're a massive chance of staying in the top eight. Uh, And they may play finals football for the first time since 2010. So for me, uh, it was an outstanding weekend uh, to see them beat Parramatta. Obviously, I've got a lot of... uh, close friends. My fiance is a Parramatta fan, so to get one over Parramatta is always good. That was my highlight. The low light look for me, you know, I said it off the top here today that the Farrah versus JT or Jason Taylor, uh, the saga, it's on again. And look, it should have been dealt with 12 months ago. It's now popped its head back up. And to me, these two guys need to put their egos in their pocket, realise they're you know, it's a team sport. There's a lot more people involved in this, and they need to find a, a amicable resolution and allow the club to move forward as soon as possible. Because at the moment, the West Tigers are like a roundabout. They just go round and round and round in circles. And to me, when you compare 2016 with 2015, the West Tigers have gone nowhere. Because in that time, 
you know, in 2015, they were in this same situation, arguing and bickering with Robbie Farrell and what are we going to do and how are we going to move him on? And 12 months later, they're in the same situation. So I think from the board level down, they need to pull their finger out, get tough, or you know, or get tough on either Jason Taylor or get tough on Robbie Farrer, find a solution so this young playing group, very talent, talented young playing group, can move forward and focus on rugby league. Uh, my best for the weekend, the Penrith Panthers, I thought they were outstanding on Friday night against the Brisbane Broncos. They put on an absolute clinic up there at Suncorp, which is traditionally a very, very tough place to play. Uh, the Broncos had come off a pretty good victory against the South Sydney Rabbitohs. And look, look, let's be fair, the Panthers were pretty scratchy against the Parramatta Eels uh, the pro- previous Sunday. So there were a few questions uh, over both sides coming into this one. And the Penrith Panthers, I thought, were absolutely outstanding. But to take nothing away from the Cowboys, who were absolutely clinical on Thursday in their demolition of the Canterbury Bulldogs, I thought in that game, Jonathan Thurston, that was probably the best football I've seen him play. You know, obviously in the 45 minutes he was on the field, he absolutely dismantled the Canterbury side. And for me, it looks a little bit like fool's gold for Canterbury. That form during Origin, similar to the Warriors, looked very good and people started to fall in love with them. But once you come out of that Origin period and other teams start to get the whip out headed to the finals, some form that looked strong during Origin can be often exposed once those players come back and the club teams get into some sort of routine. Now, my worst for the week was the NRL Bunker's decision to disallow that Joe Burgess try. I I personally think it was the wrong call. Uh, The video evidence, even in what we played earlier, uh, from Tony Archer, it doesn't clearly show separation or a lack of control, in my opinion. That vision wasn't available on the night, as I stated earlier. I think it was a ridiculous call. The fact it was sent up a try, it should have remained a try. There was no conclusive evidence or conclusive enough evidence to overturn that decision. And it was an absolutely pivotal moment in that rugby league game on Monday night in a crucial make-or-break game for South Sydney, who are now officially out of, uh, out of finals contention. Okay, we're now going to head into the questions section of our Fast Five. And look, I posted up on Facebook and Twitter yesterday looking for some questions from you guys, the fans. I'm not going to be selfish this week. I'm not even going to throw a question out there and answer it myself because that seems a little bit stupid. But we'll get on to your questions now. Cameron Patmore, when will the Sharks lose, I think, this weekend against the Titans? Now, for me, as a Titans fan, my heart says they can win. My head says they can't. To me, I really, really, if you look at form uh, and you use a little bit of common sense, I think, theoretically, they should get through based on what they've done so far over the last 15 weeks. They should get through to that game in round 26 against the Melbourne Storm. Um, and I think that would be their most likely uh, scenario of losing a game. But, look, I, I give the Titans a chance, uh, but I, I definitely wouldn't be tipping them. Um, even though I might, I don't know. Uh, Jay Schroeder, how much longer has McFadden got? Now, that's a very interesting question because the Warriors are are going through their life cycle again. Uh, They've started the year slow, slow out of the blocks, can't get out of their own way, Uh, and then you move into this period of origin where they they seem to traditionally come good, they win some games, everyone falls in love with them, and as I mentioned two or three weeks ago on the podcast, be very, very careful now that Origin's over because the Warriors will slip into that lull. And, you know, I know that they've lost three of the last four in Golden Point, but the fact of the matter is they're still losses. Uh, and to me, look, if, if McFadden won't have a job at the end of the year uh, if they don't make the finals. 
in my opinion. Now, Stevie Sargent, my stepbrother, uh, he's asked, when Jamie Lyon spoke to Harry Perrineau last night, he basically questioned his integrity. Um, look, and Steve it goes on to outline here, it's a fairly long question, but his side blatantly gave away five penalties within, in the attacking uh, 20. That was manly. I tend to agree. He did question Henry Perinara's integrity without doubt. I totally agree with Steve on this one. He suggested that Henry Perinara should have used a sin bin, and he rightfully outlines an example of Chris Sandow, uh, who was sin bin in 2014, for a comment questioning the referee's integrity when he said, how much are they paying you? Now, it's not obviously as blatant as what uh, Jamie Lyons said, uh, but, look, Henry Perinara looked a little bit shocked and warned him uh, but this hasn't even been picked up by the NRL, and to me it should have been because, you know, I don't know whether on-field mics are the way to go. I don't know whether they add much to the contest. I actually I like listening to players talk to referees. I know some people don't. I like the microphones. I know a lot of people don't. But for me, if they're going to be on, the players need to be careful with what they're saying. And, and in this case, he openly questioned the integrity of the referee, and everyone around Australia who was watching this game heard it. So... I, I think Jamie Lyon was very, very lucky to stay on the field. Uh, and look, for me, if I was refereeing that game, I, I would have seen him definitely. Cameron Patmore, as a Roosters fan, I'm outraged. The lack of punishment and media attention Corey Norman is being dealt compared to Mitchell Pearce. This fool has bought more. I oh, sorry, bought the game into more disrepute than Pearce. Yet clubs are still willing to throw lots of money at this peanut. The NRL will need to take action to these fools who continue to break the law, the latest idiot being Lafay and Havili, obviously. What stance should the NRL take on these clowns? Now, for me, there's not a one-size-fits-all for this. You know, Mitchell Pearce was very silly. And look, I think he got more media attention because it was a, a, a part of the year. It was late January uh, from memory, or, or it was, uh, f- sorry, middle of February, I think all this broke. It was a downtime. In the, in the rugby league cycle. So papers and, and media outlets were looking for a story. Uh, look, I think if what Mitchell Pearce did came out now, obviously it'd still be just as uh, inappropriate and, and stupid, but I don't know whether he would have got as much attention. Corey Norman was probably lucky that a lot of this stuff happened through the origin period, uh, you know, the drugs case and the back and forth and to and froing. Uh, with what was going to happen with his contract, obviously, for next season and whether he would be able to play for the remainder of the 2016 NRL season. Uh, Look, it's very difficult to compare them, but for me, I think Corey Norman's offence is worse than Mitchell Pearce's. I think Corey Norman has been found with an illicit drug, uh, an illegal drug. He's been charged with possession. Uh, He was out consorted with no criminals. Um, He's then... You know, obviously, last week we had the, or the week before we had the sex uh, tape scandal. So for me, uh, he's just as bad, if not if not a little bit worse than Mitchell Pearce. He's been stood down, obviously, for the remainder of the NRL season. I don't know whether that really hits Corey Norman where it hurts. It would have, obviously, if Parramatta had made the finals and they kept their points and they they were able to play finals football. But uh, I think the scrutiny for Corey Norman would have been much greater. But Look, for me, I think Corey Norman's probably got away with this a little bit in twofold in the fact that it, it was a high attention or high sort of storied period around Origin. There's a lot going on, so it, it sort of moves it to the back pages of the paper um, or, or inwards from the back pages of the paper rather than Mitchell Pearce, who obviously got caught in a period where it was a little bit slow and the media outlets jumped all over him. And then twofold in the fact that Corey Norman and Parramatta have had a horrendous year 
And when you compare this to what's happened to Parramatta, it seems like a drop in the ocean. Um, look, when we're talking about Havili and Lafayette, again, if they're proven to have uh, been guilty of a fray uh, and obviously violence, there's rumours out there or there's there's a line out there that's saying that Havili or Lafayette actually coward punched someone. Uh, that, that's going to appear on the news tonight, I think. Look, to me, if they've coward punched someone, again, they should be rubbed out for the rest of the year. They should be fined or they should have their contracts torn up. To me, look, I'm one strike and you're out. I think everyone makes a stupid decision. I'm, I'm not perfect. I've made plenty of dumb decisions in my life, so I'm not going to sit behind a microphone and carve these blokes to pieces. However... I do think that they're in a privileged position. Uh, you know that they are, whether they like it or not, to some degree they are role models in the fact that that young ch- children do look up to them. I think parents first and foremostly, teachers, police, they should be our role models uh, in general society. But for kids who love rugby league, and I love rugby league growing up as a kid, I, I idolise some players. I idolise Brad Fittler. And whether people like it or not, he was uh, a little bit of a role model for me. You know, obviously my parents were, but... You know, Brad Fittler played a little bit of a part in that, and I was fortunate enough that, you know, the majority of what Brad Fittler did in his time in rugby league was good. He had a couple of hiccups like everyone does, but I don't think he deserved to be thrown down the road for that. So, look, I think if, if they offend again, and, and Mitchell Pearce is obviously on his second chance, I, I tend to think we just rub them out. Uh, the, only, the only zero tolerance policy I think we should have is violence against women. I think for anyone that has any blip on the record and is proving guilty to uh, any sort of domestic violence against women should never play rugby league ever again. I think we need to be really, really strong on that. Uh, That's going down a different line. However, that is the only uh, possible sanction where I would support zero tolerance, and I think it's something the NRL's got to look at. Uh, Interested on your thoughts of Conrad Hurrell after a few weeks at the Titans seem to be paying good early dividends. Look, for me... Conrad does a lot of good things. He does a lot of silly things as well. So I guess we've just got to take the good with the bad with Conrad. Look, I think he's, he's going to benefit the club in the long term, providing he can keep his head in the game, cut out those stupid errors. Even on the weekend, there was a critical moment there. He made a line break, um, got tackled, and then purposely dropped the ball trying to milk a penalty, and the referee didn't buy it, and it was a turnover uh, to the Eels. So, look, if I went down and broke, broke down uh, his games to date... I think he's probably added more positive than negative. However, I'd like to see him address a few areas of his game, definitely. Uh, Jay Strasburg. BJ and Rapana are killing it this year down the Raiders' right side. Who's the best centre-winger combo you have ever seen? Mine would be Matt Gidley and Tamana Tahu in their prime. Look, that's a really, really difficult question. I tend to agree. Matty Gidley and Tahu were outstanding, uh, particularly playing off... Obviously, Andrew Johns and Danny Badiris, that helps. And the awesome forward pack the Newcastle Knights had. I've got absolutely no argument, Jay. I think BJ Leilua and Jordan Rapana are probably the form centre-winger combination in the competition. Look, I think Jack Bird and Valentine Holmes are doing a fairly decent uh, job for uh, the Cronulla Sharks. I think the Cowboys, um, you know, Kane Leonard, I don't think, is having a great year, but... Uh, look, I think Justin O'Neill's having a really, really good year. I'd probably stick with you, man. I'd go with Matt Gidley and Tahu. Uh, I think the Brisbane centres, obviously, when they had Renoff, I think it was Willie Kahn who used to play outside him. They obviously had some really, really strong centre-winger combos. Uh, obviously, Mal Meninga, when he was playing in the centres 
for the Raiders. I'm not sure whether it's Chica Ferguson played outside him or it was Martin that played outside him. It's a little bit before my time. Uh, Brad Fittler, he actually played in the centres for Penrith uh, in that point in time as well. And I think, look, Jamie Sauer, uh, Jamie Sauer, Jamie Lyon uh, and Jason Moody actually had a pretty good, uh, pretty good combination in the early 2000s when Parramatta went on that really long run and uh, made that grand final, to which obviously they lost to the Newcastle Knights. So they're another combination, but, mate, there's been plenty of good ones. Ryan Girdler. Um, and who was on his outside? I think it might have been Luke Rooney. They they did a fairly decent job. So you, I could rattle off a few. I think the Roosters had some really good centre winger pairings. Um, obviously, you could look at Minicello, uh, who played inside him. I think actually Brett Mullins played on a wing there one year. Shannon Hegarty, he was probably, you know, he didn't obviously have a very long career, but for two or three years there when he was playing outside Brad Fittler, he looked pretty good. Uh, Chris Crow. Is Tyron Peachy really different to Jack Bird? For me, he would look a, a better fit in Origin. I think he's a genuine rep player. Look, I tend to agree, Chris. I just think that you've got to have one or the other. Like, you can't pick Tyrone and Jack Bird. Obviously, unless you're going to play Jack Bird in the centres, which I would have I would have been happy with um, in Origin 3. I would have been happy if they played Bird in the centres and then had Tyron Peachy as utility. I just don't think you can have both of them on the bench, and I think that's probably the issue for New South Wales moving forward. Uh, Andrew Wales. Can the Broncos recover, and will their halves pass it to Roberts more? Laugh out loud. I think the Titans versus Sharks will be a top game. Titans usually give the Sharks a hard time. I'm really looking forward to Fafita versus James and Gal v. Bird. Rumours that Gal might join G. Bird for a year stint at Newcastle and Tigers moving to Perth. Uh, Look, I'll answer these in uh, order of asked. Uh, Look, the Broncos recover. I think the Broncos will recover. I've got a fairly hefty bet on them to finish top four, and I'm very, very worried about that now. Uh, I, I think they're more unlikely than likely to finish in the top four. They'll, they'll definitely finish in the eight. Whether they can cut, uh, can recover and play four good uh, games of footy away from home, well, that's going to remain to be seen. We'll have to wait until finals, whether they can get fit. I think they're missing Matt Gillett big time at the moment. Uh, the Sharks and the Titans, I think that'll be a really good game. Look, to me, Ryan James, he's... Very similar to Andrew Fafita for me. He does a lot of good stuff, Ryan James, but he does a lot of stupid, ill-disciplined things. The, the shoulder drop um, on the weekend on Jeff Robson, to me, was a really grubby and low thing to do, and I was really disappointed to see Ryan James do that when he's playing for the team that I support. Um, Gallon versus Bird, yeah, they always get into each other. Rumours that Gal might join G Bird for one year soon at Newcastle. Well, if they go to Newcastle, obviously it'll stiffen up their forward pack, but I don't think it's going to help Newcastle score points, and that's the majority of their issue. Uh, and the Tigers moving to Perth. Who knows? Blocker Roach, he's in the know. He, he wrote it in Rugby League Week uh, in this edition just gone. So it'll be interesting to see whether that eventuates or not. Uh, that's our Fast Five. We'll now move into the reviews of the games from around 20 in the NRL. We now move into the reviews of the games from round 20 in the NRL, and it all kicked off on Thursday night when the North Queensland Cowboys smashed the Canterbury Bulldogs 36 points to nil up there at Dairy Farmers Stadium, or 1300 uh, Smile Stadium as it's now known. Look, the Cowboys obviously got out of the blocks with two tries to Antonio Winnerstein and just a glut of possession after an early Sam Perrett error. 
Uh, and look, they never looked back, the Cowboys. It was a Thurston masterclass for 45 minutes. And for me, it was probably the best performance from the Cowboys that we've seen so far this year. They just applied pressure, pressure, pressure. And the Bulldogs, they just had no gas left in the second half once they got some possession back. Um, after doing all that defending on their line, particularly for the first 25 to 30 minutes, um, and it just took the gas out of them, they couldn't really recover. To me, the takeaways from this game, I think the Cowboys, that's their best performance of the year. I think they're really, really building nicely. I think Thurston to be out for a week or two now, obviously a tweak to hamstring. You know, for him to be out for a week or two won't be such a big deal because they're in a really good uh, position. They're going to finish in the top four. Uh, but the Bulldogs, for me, the origin form, it's a little bit of fool's gold. I said it earlier on the pod. I'm not convinced by what they're producing on the field. And they just really struggle for any cohesion. They struggle. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Got to put games away. Uh, I'm a little bit worried. If I was a Bulldogs fan, I think they've got away with uh, a few different things during the Origin period, and I'm going to be very, very interested to see how they go on Friday night in a really pressure cooker game against the St. George Illawarra Dragons are obviously going to be filthy and looking to bounce back. They're in a real glut at the moment. If you're, you're going to run into a desperate team, there's not going to be any, many more desperate than St. George Illawarra will be this Friday night. It's almost their season on the line. Uh, obviously on Friday night, the Penrith Panthers, they defeated the Brisbane Broncos up there at Suncorp Stadium, 31 points to 12 in a very, very clinical performance. To me, it looked like the Broncos, they had their chances to get back in this game. Uh, Penrith skipped away, obviously. They led, I think Penrith led 16-0 at halftime. And they just, the Broncos, they had their chances. They just turn the ball over or they make an error or throw a forward pass. Nothing really seems to uh, seem to stick for them on the night. They were pretty poor. Uh, but for me, that's the best I've seen the Panthers play since the 2014 season. Obviously, when they made the preliminary final and were beaten by the Bulldogs, they ditched the up-and-out defence. Now, having spoken to Nathan Cleary uh, a couple of times over the last month, he was telling me they were struggling a little bit to, to adapt to the up-and-out style defence, which Anthony Griffin had tried to... Uh, implement uh, in previous to that Ivan Cleary obviously had sort of an up and square or, or an inside shoulder focus with their defence and you could see that they look much more comfortable defending their inside shoulder going up hard off the line and having confidence making decisions from uh, the outside in uh, but to me the Broncos forwards they just got hammered through the middle and, and to me that seems a real glaring hole you, you, forwards win you premierships not backs, not halves the halves are copying the criticism, uh, but for me, Brisbane's forward pack really, really needs to take a long, hard look at themselves, step up and start to lead this side to some more victories and create some space for the halves who desperately need it. Player of the game for this one, I just mentioned him, Nathan Cleary kicked the Broncos to death. His kicking game was outstanding, and it's really impressive to see uh, a young man, which I've had a lot to do with coming through the grades, doing so well. He deserves every success because he's worked very, very hard and he's very, very humble. And the first game on Saturday was the Canberra Raiders 
who defeated the New Zealand Warriors 26-22 in Golden Point. Now, it was a game where the Raiders, they cruised away fairly comfortably. They did a lot of defence on their line early in this game. They repelled the Warriors. They got out to a really nice lead. I think they led 22-6 to with you know, less than 10 minutes to go or around 10 minutes to go, and the Warriors zoomed back. For me, a few questions. Uh, I've had questions over the Raiders' ability to shut out games and put in a performance of more than 60 minutes. They always seem to have that 20-minute, 10 to 20-minute lapse during a game, which is a massive concern because during the finals, against the better sides, you're not going to get away with that week to week. Uh, if they are going to have those little slumps, they need to make sure they finish top four so they get a second chance. But we'll, we'll wait and see what happens there. But the other, the other glaring thing out of this game for me, again, is the Warriors, they... They just wait too long to play that open style football, attacking football. They they want to go through that boring structure and run through their plays, and it doesn't work. And then, you know, in the last ten or fifteen minutes of this game, they just went ad lib. They played really, really open football. They threw the footy around, and they looked really, really dangerous. So, I'd like to see the Warriors start the game like that. I know I've heard a lot of commentators say that, but I'd like to echo the sentiment. Uh, look. And this is the third loss in four matches in Golden Point for the Warriors. So that's obviously of some concern that they can't close out close games. But the Raiders, they do it again. They've won a lot of close games this year. It's another home victory. Ricky Stewart seems to be doing a very good job with this side. He's got them in the right direction. They look poised uh, to challenge for a top four position to me. Uh, It's obviously the Raiders, the Dogs and the Broncos who have a realistic chance of, of finishing fourth spot. I think the top three spots of the four are already locked in with the Sharks, the Storm, and obviously the Cowboys. But this fourth position is up for grabs. And I think the Canberra Raiders, I think they're good enough on their day if they can play consistent football and string together some 80-minute performances between now and the end of the season. But the other game on Saturday, or the second of three games on Saturday, the Gold Coast Titans up there at uh, Seabus Super Stadium defeated the Parramatta Eels 34-14. And I don't think the scoreline in this one truly reflects the game. I, the, the Parramatta Eels, I think if you throw Corey Norman into this game, I've got, I've got to say that I, I think that the Eels might have got away with this. The Titans scored some garbage points at the end. It was pretty close there. I think it was 18-10 for a very, very long time. I just felt like if Parramatta could get a try, they'd probably get two. They just couldn't get over the line. The Titans gifted them some opportunities throughout that game. Uh, but for me, as obviously as a Titans fan, I was very, very impressed for 65 minutes. I thought for 15 minutes or 20 minutes, very similar to Canberra. We were very, very poor, but we, we managed to run away with it late. We ran away with it early too, but we just seemed to go away from what works at, at different times. And I guess that's to be expected with such young halves. But the, the Titans did look the better side when they really kicked it up a gear. But Parramatta, they were very, very tough. And they, they stopped the Titans putting this game to bed. Their effort has been outstanding all year. I, I can't really give you a side in the NRL that's tried harder than Parramatta under difficult and trying circumstances and lacking the amount of troops and players that Parramatta are at the moment. Uh, well done, Parramatta. Well done, Gold Coast. Uh, I think it was a fair result in this game. I think you know a 10-point margin would have been a, a, a fair reflection of the game as a whole. But I thought it was, uh, it was played in good spirit. It was a pretty messy game through the middle stages uh, there. But, uh, look, I think the Titans deserve that victory. One little low light, I think the Ryan James elbow drop was stupidity. And I think he needs to have a look at his discipline again. It's not the first time I've said that. 
But we'll move on to the final game on uh, Saturday night, which was the Melbourne Storm and the Sydney Roosters. And look, on paper last Tuesday when we did our tips, I didn't really give the Roosters a chance. But as the week wore on, uh, look, I've got to be honest, I gave the Roosters a chance in this one. And they started the game very, very well. Uh, but, you know, they, they got on the board early. They, they seemed to... You know, not not ruffle the feathers of Melbourne. I don't think Melbourne got stifled at all, but, you know, Melbourne were aware that they were in a game there after 15 minutes when the Roosters were, you know, flying. They were, they were defending very physically, and, and, you know, they did get under Melbourne's skin or, or probably win that first 15-minute period of the game. But as Melbourne do so well, they absorbed... Uh, they absorbed all of that pressure and the class of Smith and Cronk and in particular the kicking game Blake Green again outstanding Cameron Munster very very good very very safe at the back and that was probably the difference in the game I think the Melbourne Storm's defence the Roosters just ran out of options they're solely playing off Mitchell Pearce at the moment which makes it very very easy to defend the Roosters uh, because obviously, you know, you put an extra man wherever Mitchell Pearce is. He's doing a pretty good job trying to float around from one side of the field to the other. Look, I don't often uh, criticise Trent Robertson, but I do have one small criticism. I, I don't understand why he moved Blake Ferguson to fullback and took Latrell Mitchell away. Look, I'm not I'm not in love, and I, I don't love everything that Latrell Mitchell does, but I think he's the best ball runner at the back for the Sydney Roosters. I think he starts their sets off really well. Whether whether Latrell's carrying an injury or there's another reason why he moved him back there, but just from a tactical perspective, I don't think it was the right move for the Roosters, particularly against Melbourne, because Melbourne have such a big emphasis on winning the play the ball and winning uh, the ground in the first couple of tackles. So you need someone who's going to bring the ball back with a little bit of vigour that can potentially break a tackle uh, in order to gain some ruck speed early in your set because if, if, if Melbourne and, and watch it from you know now on after I've said this but Melbourne they've got such a big focus I'll try and slow you down but if you if you manage to break Melbourne's defence or you can get a quick play of the ball in the first one or two they tend to change their defensive structure a little bit where they'll just they catch tackle and they're happy to let you gain yards and just get to your kick so you know I just thought Latrell Mitchell could have given the Roosters more in terms of yardage early in their sets um, but in saying that, I thought the Roosters made plenty of yards, but they just, they just look confused when they're attacking the Storm's line. I, I, you know, if you were to draw out a graph of the field, I think uh, the Roosters probably at least went uh, even points with Melbourne for the first 80 metres of the field. Uh, but down in the, the Melbourne's 20, Melbourne's defence dominated the Roosters' attack. And on the flip side of that, Melbourne, I, I thought the Roosters' defence was pretty good. Melbourne just found some really classy... Touches as they often do from their halves, uh, and they scored a couple of tries off kicks. And in the end, it was enough to get them the victory. And look, the Roosters—I think they're going to beat some sides. I, I give them a really, really good show uh, to beat the Broncos tomorrow night um, in the Thursday night match. I think they're a massive, massive chance of knocking off the Broncos because obviously we all know the, the form of the Broncos. But I think the Roosters—they're flying under the radar a little. I think they're playing really, really good footy, and they're going to upset some sides before the end of this season. All right, we move now on to the Sunday games and the Cronulla Sutherland Sharks. Well, they just rolled on at home, didn't they? They defeated the Newcastle Knights 36 points to four in probably what was a fair reflection of this game. Look, Newcastle, pretty similar to the Roosters in the fact that they just, they really struggled to score points. I like the fact that Nathan Brown has given them a little bit of a... Uh, an, an open board or an open canvas in terms of their attack. They seem to try a few different things. They sling the ball around a little bit. They just don't have the players, the, the Knights, and they don't have the forwards. Well, they certainly didn't have the forwards in order to make an impact or gain any ruck speed against this Cronulla side. 
Uh, for me, Cronulla, they were good. They were okay. I think it was probably a 6 or a 7 out of 10 performance from them. There are a few little things that I didn't like, you know, Gallon pushing people and, uh, you know, Fafita doing some silly things during this game. There were just some lack of discipline that I think can cost the Sharks. They gave away way too many penalties uh, in positions where it can cost you in a semi-final for mine. Um, and, and that's the concern for me. And it's I'm, I'm going to give them some criticism after a win because I don't want to be laying the boot in after a loss. Uh, that's not my style. Look, I think there's some there's some chinks in Cronulla's armour in the fact that they've got this persona as a team, a, a team culture and a team identity that is that gritty, uh, not dirty, but chippy sort of style. And, and with that style comes, you know, a little bit of risk in, in regards to giving away cheap penalties. Now, during the semi-finals the referees are going to be a lot more strict on what they allow and what they don't allow compared to a club game on a Sunday afternoon against Newcastle at Shark Park. Now, just having a look at a few different things, you know, the Michael Ennis no-try, obviously where he moved into the marker, I thought it was a no-try. I think Ennis has got every right to run um, his line. However, he doesn't have a right to put his arm out and block that Newcastle marker, which I think he did. I, think, I don't think the Newcastle marker, uh, as Shane Flanagan said in the post-match, was trying to get across, uh, was trying to tackle Michael Ennis. Michael Ennis had already passed the ball. That's a ridiculous statement. Adams was trying to get across Ennis um, to make the tackle. I think he was impeded. What do you've got there anyway? I don't know. Uh, but he was he, he was obstructed in getting there. So I agree with the call of no try in that regard. So I'll back the bunker up on that one. I've laid the boot into him a little bit today. But look, for me, the Sharks were outstanding. They're going to... Uh, they're going to be really, really tough to beat come the finals. But there are a few little chinks in their armour. Um, and I think at the moment, if I had to put my money anywhere, I'd, I'd have it firmly. Or if I was going to do some power rankings, I'd have uh, the Melbourne Storm and the North Queensland Cowboys just ahead of the Sharks. But I do think during the finals, they're going to have a massive advantage playing in Sydney. Simple as that. I said at the start of the year, if the Sharks are going to be a chance of winning this comp, they have to finish uh, in the top two in order to play in Sydney because I, I, I don't know whether they'd be able to go. And look, last year's form proves that they got beat by 40 um, by the Cowboys in week two of the finals last year. So any side that has to travel during the finals is obviously going to find it tough. But well done, Cronulla. Well done, Newcastle. They tried hard. I, I struggle to watch them because they are a New South Wales Cup team, but you can't fault their effort. Uh, the second game on Sunday, the St. George Illawarra Dragons, they went down to the West Tigers 25-12 to at ANZ Stadium. Uh, well, what can you say about this game? St. George started really well. They, their kick chase was good. They completed. They looked like they had a clear game plan. But, and then, basically, they went away with it, went away from it for the rest of the half. It brought the Tigers right back in. And, you know, you invite the Tigers down onto your line. It's only a matter of time before they burn you. Uh, you can't give them as much, much possession as they had. You need to starve the Tigers a ball, force them into errors, tie them out through making them tackle you, you know. Uh, but... The Dragons didn't do that, and they paid the price. Um, I thought they came out again to start the second half, and they started off okay. But again, they went away from the things that worked for St. George. Um, look, the St. George Illawarra Dragons, their attack hasn't changed much. Last year, everyone was raving on about their defence. That's been the massive change. Their defence has slipped away a little bit, and whether that's because they've ran out of luck, I think they had a lot of luck last year, obviously. Uh, but... You know, they just don't convince me. I've put a red pen through the Dragons. I don't think they can play finals football. However, I do think the Tigers can. Um, I don't think they will, but I think they're they're in the hunt. If they can do a you know 
beat a couple of those sides. They've still got to play Penrith. They've still got to play the Titans. They've still got to play the sides that are around them. Uh, they haven't definitely haven't convinced me that they can play finals football, but I think they're in the hunt. They're definitely in the hunt more than what St. George of the Warrior is. And, um, and another side, obviously, that I'd give a tiny, slight little chance to is the Manly Warringah Seagulls. Uh, Seagulls. Sea Eagles, who played on... Uh, sound like John Grant. The Manly Warringah Seagulls, who played on Monday night. They defeated the South Sydney Rabbitohs 20-12. And, look, it was just another, you know... Scratch your head game for South Sydney. I mean, Michael Maguire must get so frustrated. South look horrendous for the first half. Manly, uh, obviously, Manly weren't great, but they did what needed to be done in this game. Um, I thought they deserved to win. Look, the obvious one here is the Joe Burgess no try. I I did think it changed the momentum of the game. I thought all the momentum at that point in time was with South Sydney. Uh, and at that time, I was sort of I was going to be critical of Manly, probably for not taking as much advantage of all the possession and all the dominance they had in that first half to only lead uh, by the small margin that, that, that they did, which at that point was only six points. That try would have made it eighteen all or eighteen sixteen, uh, but it wasn't to be. The try was disallowed. South Sydney didn't react really well to it, and they conceded plenty of yards from the, uh, the ensuing seven tackle set, and they gave away a penalty. Uh, look for me, South Sydney. You know, the season for them just comes down to ill-discipline. They, particularly the Burgess boys, they've made so many errors this year. I don't know whether it's through uh, trying too hard, uh, but they've really hamstrung this side. Their halves have been pretty ordinary. I think uh, Kiri and Reynolds have had little impact. I think they're missing Isaac Luke big time. They're probably a proper way. I think poor old Dave Tyrrell's probably hit his use by date. Guys like Jason Clark, these fellas who, you know, had an impact when they had a few other forwards going a little bit better. I think the Twins have had a really, really ordinary season. I think Sam Burgess has tried his backside off, but he's this is probably his worst season in the NRL as well. Uh, but for Manly, look, Tom Trebojevic again, really, really impressed at the back. Jake Trebojevic did his job. Darcy Lusick um, in his 100th first grade game was very, very good. Look, they're good enough to beat these sides at the moment that are around or near them, but the challenge is going to come for Manly when they play some top eight sides and they really get tested. But, look, the last two weeks they've got the uh, they've got the train back on the tracks with wins over the Warriors and the Rabbitohs. So, look, Manly is still in contention. I don't have them or the Tigers making the eight, but they're, they're still thereabouts, and if they're good enough, uh, they can possibly sneak into the bottom end of the eight. That now wraps up our reviews from the games on the weekend. I'm now going to answer a few more questions off Twitter, and then we're going to have a look at the games in round 21. Alrighty, I'm now going to have a look on Twitter and see what uh, what you guys have posted over the last few days. Um, I've obviously put a few statuses up there, or uh, Twitter handle messages, whatever you want to call them. I'm not very Twitter-orientated. Probably better than Louis, mind you. Uh, but look, I'm going to not try and embarrass Sandy, but poor old Sandy. I don't know whether you know the Eels are having a little bit of an effect on Sandy, but she said, "Do I give the, the Knights a chance and put a hundred dollars on them at seven dollars fifty?" Hashtag NRL Sharks Knights. I replied with, "Sandy, do you need some counselling?" Oh my God! Um, look, she ended up saving her money. Thank God, Sandy. Um, but. Geez, you, you really worried me there. I think the Parramatta Eels, they might be having an effect on you. Uh, but the bloke hammer, I think it might be the Sharks. Uh, good to lose a game during the home stretch. Sometimes a loss is better than a win attitude-wise. I tend to disagree. I don't think they need a loss per se. I think they they seem to be 
doing as much as I can to try and learn each week. You know, I don't, I don't sense any complacency coming out of, um, uh, coming out of the Sharks camp. So for me, I don't, I don't particularly think they, they need to, uh, they need to have a loss. Blake Ashford uh, at episode two four eight zero fifth and last. Uh, Tigers good or Dragons bad this week or a bit of both. Look, I think the, the Tigers were good, but obviously the Dragons were pretty awful. I think when the Dragons showed glimpses of their best football, they really uh, look way better than the Tigers, in my opinion. But it's a pity that was only for 20 minutes of the game. Uh, Daniel Friend, your favourite young gum coming through. Obviously, uh, plenty of good ones at the moment. Look, I think Viliami Kikau is going to be good once he gets a run um, with uh, the Panthers. Tyrone May, again, is another young gun coming through. But I like the look of blokes like Lachlan Croker. I haven't followed too much of the 20s this year, to be fair. I've, I've tended to uh, stick to the NRL. But look, I, I'm very, very keen to see Tyrone May, Viliami Kikau, uh, Lachlan Croker, these sort of guys. Uh, Nick Kotrick is a guy at Canberra who I think has got a bright future potentially. I've, I've had, uh, been able to watch him since he was 16 years old and he was always a you know, a bit of a standout in his age group. Uh, Neil, would be ge- good to hear your 1-13 to 13 team of the year so far. Uh, off the top of my head, um, I'd have to do a little bit more research, Neil. I might throw that in at the end of the podcast. Uh, Michael, InnerWest uh, Invest. There have been 589 negative articles, video refs, and 467 positive news on players and teams this year. Time to sack the video refs. I don't think we should sack them, but I think it's time to have a little bit of a look at um, obviously what we're, what our goal is. I, look, it's been very, very difficult to watch the bunker, particularly in the last you know month. Uh, they've, they've, they've got so many wrong. I think the Roosters copped a few in that game against the Sharks on Monday Night Football. Last week, um, obviously the week before the South Manly game, I think they got rorted on a few occasions by the bunker. Uh, Benny Stora, thoughts on Rankin being selected on the wing for West Tigers? Kid seems to be struggling. Adokar, a better option. Look, I don't rate Jordan Rankin at all. Um, he obviously left the Titans. Adokar, it might be a little bit of, well, we're going to put Rankin there because Adokar is obviously leaving to go to Melbourne at the end of the year. Uh, Gavin again. Brock, can you talk about coaching defensive combinations uh, this is an interesting, interesting question. I, I asked him a little bit. He's saying the Chooks, uh, different edge combos this year, some horrid Ds, confidence in each other or time together. Uh, look, it's a little bit of both. It, it, systematically, um, obviously, if you're playing up and out, up and in, whatever system you're playing, if everyone follows it, you're obviously a better better chance of executing that particular system. For me, when you watch uh, the Roosters, more often than not, for me, it's been the Raiders this year, the one that is the glaring... You've got some people following the up and out, some people coming in, some people holding back, some people doing all sorts of different things. But coaching defensive combinations, it's more, you know, you, you work out how you want to defend in your middle and at marker, and then you work out your edge teams. And the hardest part about combinations, obviously, is is consistency. So if you've got the same four or five players playing on each edge, obviously the defensive combinations are going to be a lot better. Uh Within that, you've got to work within the different styles of each player. So you might have a player that tends to turn in. You might have a player which is slow off the line. You might have a player who loves to shoot up off the line. You might have a guy that tends to go out when he needs to come in or vice versa, goes in when he needs to sort of hold out. So there are a variety of different things that you've got to work with there. But the most important thing is is if everyone is doing the same thing and you can basically mirror it in teams of four on your edges and in six in the middle, um, 
obviously you're going to be a much better chance to execute. Or sorry, five in the middle. You're going to be a, a better chance of executing. And it's very, very important for your defensive combination to have a good fullback. A fullback is the eyes at the back. He organises your defence. And more often than not, what's happening on the edge is often a reflection of what's going on in the middle. So if there's poor decisions being made on the edge uh, from a slow play the ball, obviously you're going to put your foot up the backside of your edge defenders. But if the edge is just under constant pressure because you know an opposition is rolling through the middle of the ruck and the players aren't having enough time to get back on side and they're having to make rush decisions on broken play, that's a little bit different. But Per se, it's it's just about getting everyone on the same page, Gavin. It's and it, it's div- very difficult to do that um, at times. But obviously, some players are better than than others. But I think it's defensively, it's very, very, very important that you get your system not not right. There's no right or wrong system, but you need to make sure everyone buys into it. If you've got 13 guys doing, you know, obviously the same thing and buying into the system that you're trying to implement, you're going to be much more effective. Um, he also goes on to saying you must be enjoying the Titans season. DC who? Uh, I am, mate. I'm, I'm really enjoying the footy that the Titans are playing. I said at the start, I don't care where they end up because I can tell that they're really trying hard. Um, and, you know, that's, I've questioned probably their effort in the, you know, well, at least the years that John, or the last few years of John Cartwright's tenure there. I don't think they were having a red hot go. And I don't think we had players there who were playing with very much passion at all. Uh, Luke Tomlins, just one key point. Parrot dropped a sitter. Thurston put on a clinic and never gave us a chance. A good wake-up call. Yeah, it is for the Bulldogs, I think. They uh, they needed that wake-up call, but it'll be also very interesting to see how they react. Uh, John Alty is happy for the Panthers. The Broncos need to snap out of this form slump and quick. Mate, totally agree. Just going to keep flicking through. What have we got? Sean Chan, absolutely ridiculous. One of them has to go. In regards to obviously Robbie Farrah and uh, the West Tigers, and he doesn't think that the Dragons can make the finals. Uh, Joshy Betros, he, he said he's over it. He couldn't care less about the Farrah scenario. Uh, Sam Taylor, the Sharks can't keep winning non-stop. Often when teams go on huge runs, it doesn't transfer into premierships. Anyway, I tend to agree, mate. Uh, Emilio Celebos, he's a man down at uh, the Blue Sox. Hello, Emilio. I hope you're well, mate. A uh, big Tigers fan, but feel that Robbie should have been shown the door about three years ago. Forgot how to run forward. Yeah. Look, listen to the start of the podcast. I have my say on it, um, but I tend to agree. I don't think over the last five years, Robbie has delivered on the a lofty price tag that he has demanded. All right, guys. Thanks a lot for your questions. Make sure that when we throw a status up like that, please, any questions, throw it up there, particularly in the next three or four weeks while Lewis is away, and we're going to have some time to fill. So I want to make sure I'm answering all your questions and getting you involved in the podcast as much as possible. And you can do that through either Facebook, uh, we're at Fifth and Last NRL Podcast, or on Twitter, Twitter. Our handle is at Fifth and Last. That's with the letter N, not with the word end. So just punch in Fifth and Last Podcast, and you should be able to find us. Right, we're on the homeward stretch. After the break, I'm going to uh, go through all the games from round 21, give you the odds, and give you the tips from myself, Mr. Gossip, and obviously Louis, who's, uh, you know, God knows where he is at the moment. He Every photo I see on Facebook of Lewis, he's in a pub somewhere. So he's having a good time. He, he was a little bit crook this week, actually. So, you know, I think they might have pumped some meds into him, but, you know, sometimes the best medicine you can get is a is a 
you know, big pint of beer. So he's drinking plenty over there. I hope he's having a good time, and uh, I'm holding the fort here. But stick with us. Uh, we've got about 10 or 15 minutes to go on the pod, and then we'll be done for another week. Let's have a look at round 21 in the NRL, and it starts this week with the Sydney Roosters. They play host to the Brisbane Broncos on Thursday night footy, kickoff at 7.50pm. The Sydney Roosters, they're $2 with William Hill, and the Brisbane Broncos are $1.82 favourites. Very, very tough line. Uh, sorry, game to line up here. The line is plus 1.5 or minus 1.5 on the Broncos. Look, for me, this one, I'm going to tip an upset. I'm going to go to the Roosters. I think they've been playing pretty good football over the last few weeks. And uh, the Brisbane Broncos, to me, they're just not convincing me at all. Mr. Gossip has gone the Broncos, and so has Louie. Uh, we move on to the second game, Friday night, and a must-win game for the St. George Illawarra Dragons. They're $6, can you believe it, with William Hill. Canterbury thirteen. This kickoff again at 7.50 on Friday night. The line is plus 16 and a half. Uh, I think that's a little bit generous. I might uh, might have a little dabble at that. But, look, I'm, I'm going to tip the Bulldogs. I can't see them losing. Uh, look, but they got spanked on the uh, on the weekend by the Cowboys. So they're going to have to dust themselves off. And St. George will be desperate. This is basically St. George's season, I think. This is a must-win game for them. So it'll be very interesting. In saying that, we've all tipped the Bulldogs, and we think they'll win. Uh, the first game on Saturday is over in New Zealand. The New Zealand Warriors take on the Penrith Panthers, and they are the $1.70 favourites, the Warriors here, interestingly. The Panthers are $2.15. The line is plus 2.5 to the Panthers at $1.91, if you like that. Look, we've all tipped the Panthers here, uh, and they're the underdogs. I, we're probably not trusting the Warriors' form until they obviously get a win post-origin. This is going to be a fairly tough test. The Panthers are great. Uh, against the Broncos last week. They get a pretty long turnaround, the Panthers. Obviously, a, um, a Friday into a Saturday, which is a nice, at least, you know, seven-day turnaround. Obviously, they've got to travel, but we've all tipped the Panthers, and I expect them to win. 5.30 on Saturday, the Parramatta Eels, they play host to the West Tigers. The Parramatta Eels, $2.85. The West Tigers, $1.42. Favorites. Look, we've all gone with the Tigers, basically because Parramatta, they've put the queue in the rack. They've lost the majority of their better players. They've got back rollers playing in the centres. The line is plus eight. Uh, I would have a look at that. I don't think West are going to put a score on Parramatta. I think it'll be fairly close, similar to the Titans game last week. Um, you know, obviously the Titans ran away with it. I still don't think the 20-point margin was a true reflection of the game, but we've all tipped the Tigers in the last game, and what a cracker game this is going to be. Hopefully Jonathan Thurston can pull through and be fit for this one. It's the North Queensland Cowboys against the Melbourne Storm. The Storm, despite being away from home, are $1.72 favourites. The North Queensland Cowboys, obviously with that injury shadow, hanging over Jonathan Thurston at $2.12, and the line is plus two. Uh, Look, again, we've all gone with the Melbourne Storm. Uh, based probably on the fact that we're expecting Jonathan Thurston not to play. But, look, North Queensland, with or without Thurston, they proved that on Thursday night they're going to be strong. They've had a long turnaround in this one. It's a big home game. They haven't lost a game all year at home, the North Queensland Cowboys, so they're, not, they're going to be looking to continue that record with or without JT. So, But I just think Melbourne will be too tough. Um, they've had a decent turnaround as well. So, And they're doing a good job, Craig Bellamy, in resting the rep players, and we've all tipped the storm. Sunday, 2 o'clock, 
South Sydney Rabbitohs. They play host to the Canberra Raiders. South Sydney, $3.05 with William Hill. The Canberra Raiders, $1.38 favourites, and rightfully so. And the line is eight uh, to South Sydney, or minus eight for the Raiders. We've all tipped the Raiders. Uh, it's a little bit of a boring week this week, isn't it? Uh, we've all tipped the Raiders. South Sydney is obviously really, really struggling. The 4 o'clock and main game this week, interestingly, uh, is a stinker. It's Manly at home to the Newcastle Knights. Manly, $1.12, Newcastle, six fifty. I don't think Manly deserved $1.12. There's no absolute way that I'll be backing Manly at those odds. Uh, the Newcastle Knights, they get a plus 18.5 start. I would have a look at that, but you know, I wouldn't be putting my house on it. We Again, we've all tipped the Seagulls, uh, and they should win. If they want to stay in contention, it's a must-win game for them. Uh, and finally, my, Monday night, I think, you know, when you look at the two games this weekend which stand out, it's obviously Gold Coast, Cronulla and North Queensland, Melbourne. But this one might prove to be the match of the round. The Cronulla Sharks are $1.45 favourites uh, going up to Seabus Super Stadium to play my Gold Coast Titans, who are $2.75. And I think that market's just about right. The Titans have got a a 6.5-point start, which I think, again, is spot on at $1.91. Look, I'm going to tip the Sharks, and so is Louis. But Mr Gossip, he's gone with the Titans. And, you know, I'd love to see them win, and I'd be happy to give up my point uh, in the tipping comp to see them get over the line. There are all the tips. There are all the odds. Uh, there are all the previews for this round 21 upcoming in the NRL. And that's about all we have for this week. The only thing we've got left to do is to go through and have a little bit of a chat about our sponsors. Obviously, williamhill.com.au, who, uh, if you're going to have a bet on any sport or racing or whatever it is, two pickles down a wall, make sure you do it with williamhill.com.au. We've also got Kaizen Sports Performance. Now, you might have seen on our Facebook page, if you haven't already, jump on and have a look. The uh, Rugby League Academy, we wrapped that up on Monday night with a little bit of a, uh, a welfare and information night for the parents. Uh, we had a, a bit of a star-studded panel. Uh, myself, Kyle Churchill, who obviously weren't the stars. We were just on the panel. But we had Nathan Cleary and Luke Prittish join us there. And we went through for you know about an hour and 20 minutes of uh, went through all the little different ins and outs on uh, ways in order to be a better footballer and a better person off the field. So it was a good way to finish that 10-week program. The Kaizen Sports Performance is devoted towards bridging the gap between amateur and elite sport. We're on a mission to provide all athletes the opportunity to experience high-performance training, resources, and support that only elite athletes receive. Our business services include performance academies, functional movement screenings, team building and leadership workshops, and pre-season camps. The Kaizen Rugby League Summer Academy is coming soon, so check them out on Facebook at Kaizen Sports Performance to keep up to date with all activity. Finally, Rugby League coaching manuals. Uh, obviously, I had an article in the June edition uh, on halves. If you want to have a look at that, make sure you jump on to rlcm.com.au, sign up as a foundation member. But as a rugby league coach, you have many different jobs. Some include being a mentor, a teacher, a leader, a counsellor, and a drill sergeant. One of the most important roles as a coach is getting the best out of your players. If you are there to get the best out of your players, who is there to get the best out of you as a coach? It's RLCM. They have been providing coaching educational material to coaches since 1993 through their flagship publication, Coach Talk, DVDs, and drill books. All of this material is now available online through your very own RLCM membership, which gives you access to hundreds of articles and videos on coaching rugby league. In addition to this, you also receive access to online courses and invitation to the monthly coaching webinar, plus a new edition of Coach Talk every month. To start your 30-day free trial, just visit 
visit rlcm.com.au and sign up as a foundation member today. Okay, and just to finish up this week's show, I thought I'd give you uh, our weekly charity bet. I'm going to have a bet, uh, a two-leg multi. I'm going to have the Roosters to beat the Broncos head-to-head at $2 into the Penrith Panthers to beat the New Zealand Warriors head-to-head at $2.15. When you multi all that up into two-leg multi, it's going to be $4.30. Obviously, with a $100 bonus bet on, the estimated return for our charity would be $330. So keep your fingers crossed for those two games. Apologies if you are a Broncos or a Warriors supporter. Uh, but at the moment, the Broncos are just very, very unconvincing, as are the Warriors, as they usually are post-origin. But, look, thanks for listening to this week's podcast. Obviously, I know it's uh, you might have got bored with my voice. It's probably the most I've spoken on a podcast for combined for the last couple of years. Uh, usually, it's the big man getting his voice across it all, and we've got some guests. But this week, obviously, we've had a few logistical issues. It's out a day late, but, look, it's done, dusted. It's a little bit different. I hope you enjoyed it. If you didn't, if you did, make sure you give us some feedback, rate us on iTunes, uh, and enjoy your week. Uh, And we'll catch you next week on the fifth and last NRL podcast. Bring it on. Give us more. Give us more. Where are you going? What's going on here? Is that it? Is that it? Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. <laughs> 